This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Hello, everybody. This week on Bald Move Prestige, we have a special treat because it's this week, uh, the 15th anniversary of The Devil Wears Prada, a film that uh, launched a couple people's careers. Meryl Streep. Uh, Meryl Streep <laughs> put her on the fucking map, really. Where was yeah. she until right? The Devil Wears Prada? Um, and so, yeah, uh, it, it, it's fun to look back at this movie. I've seen it a couple times. It's directed by David Frankel, who also directed Marley and Me, The Big Year, which I actually really like that film. Yeah. With Steve Martin, Jack Black, Owen Wilson about their birding. Really mm-hmm. weird and funny comedy. Um, it was screenplay written by Aline Broche McKenna, who also wrote the screenplay to 27 Dresses and We Bought a Zoo. Matt Damon wow. can't be stopped. Uh, also co-wrote the 2014 Annie reboot and the recent Corella DeVille live action villain origin story, whatever is based on the novel. Um, the devil wears Prada by Lauren Weisberger, which is kind of a lightly fictionalized account of her being the real life assistant to, uh, Anne Wintour, who is the editor in chief of Vogue magazine. And essentially, um, is more or less the the uh, the villain that's portrayed in this this movie, the the titular devil who wears Prada, mm-hmm. playing that role is Meryl Streep, the living legend, uh, who, as we mentioned, got her start in this film. Actually, she received her first Oscar nom for the fucking Deer Hunter back in 1978. Won wow. her first in Kramer versus Kramer in 1979. Another one for Sophie's Choice in 1982. And got uh, the third playing Margaret Thatcher in 2011's The Iron Lady. She's had over 21. Exact. I'm sorry. Correct. Correct me. Exactly 21 total lifetime Oscar nominations as either actor, or supporting actor. It's incredible. Uh, also starring Anne Hathaway, who you might recognize uh, from her younger work in The Pr- Princess Diaries, uh, Brokeback Mountain, Rachel Getting Married, Dark Right, Dark Night Rises, and Les Mis. Stanley Tucci, who we just looked at in The Road to Perdition. He's also been in The Hunger Games Spotlight and the live action remake of Beauty and the Beast. Simon Baker from TV's The Mentalist. Emily Blunt, who has gone places since this. We just saw her starring in A Quiet Place Part 2. And Adrian Grenier, who's Entourage guy. And that's about it. Really good short shrift there. Yeah, but you're right. He's the entourage guy. (laughs) He is the entourage guy. Uh, Jim, 15 years later, what did you think of this film? Have you seen this film before? And what did you think of it? No, this is my first time watching this. Uh, Really? Okay. You might be surprised because, sure, not really my type of movie. Um, Mm. I I, I struggle to call this a chick flick. I, I think it's more than that, certainly. Um, mm-hmm. but it has a lot of that vibe. So I never really decided to sit down and check this out. Um, especially, you know, 15 years ago, look, I was, I was in my mid twenties as a dude. There's probably not much I knew about Meryl Streep at the time. Um, 
if if I had more respect for Meryl Streep at the time, maybe I would have checked it out. But she's great in it. Anne Hathaway is great in it. Um, I, I'm struggling. You didn't mention uh, Rich Summer, who is in this, by the way, who is was a delight to see on screen because I only know him as Harry from Mad Men. Uh, <laughs> so yes, I meant to write. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When yeah. he showed up, I was like, oh, wow, cool. Uh, but I am torn by this movie because, like I said, it has a lot of like chick flick energy. It it was made in an era that I think was a little more innocent with fashion, uh, the fashion industry, where the worst thing you could say about fashion is it's a tough industry to work in. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like if, if this movie were made today, it would have a lot more commentary on the industry as a whole and not just, you know, a hopeful story about this sing- singular individual getting out of a rough industry to work in. It would probably talk about fast fashion. It would talk about environmental impacts, a lot of other stuff that has since come to light in the ensuing 15 years about the fashion industry. Uh, And so like modern me is torn watching this 15 year old movie. Yeah. Probably have a more diverse cast. Uh, Probably. As far as I know, I I imagine the upper echelons of the uh, fashion industry are dominated by people that probably look the same. Yeah. A lot uh, of Italian names in there. Um, but yeah, just probably yeah. a lot of white people too. Yeah. I, I have, um, I mean, I, I like this film. I think this is a, this is a fun film, but this film is completely antithetical to many things that I stand for in terms of like politics and what <laughs> I think is important. Like, um, I remember seeing people say that like the cerulean, like if you don't understand fashion, watch this Meryl Streep cerulean speech and you'll get it. And I'm like, no, I don't get it. Like to <laughs> me, it's like someone explaining why what they do is important. Um, but it only works if you kind of buy in what they're doing is important, you know? Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm not saying that it's not important, but it's important. Like, being the star quarterback of a professional football team is important. Sure. Like it's kind of important because we all say it is. And it can enrich Um, people's lives, I think, but it also is completely superfluous, totally unnecessary. Right. And it's like, there's a lot of things that I don't like the, the movie buttresses that opinion, like, Oh, this is the highest form of art because people live in it. And I'm like, Hmm. I don't know. Does that make bed the highest form of art because people spend a third of their lives <laughs> in it? Like arguably the yeah, you know, more design. than yeah, like like the mattress design is the 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 height of art. Like I, there's a couple of things where it's like, I, and again, if you are into fashion, fashionista, that that's fine. I don't want to go after anybody's hobby um, or the thing that they that they have passion in. It's just that like when we talk about it, it it's being important and. Crucially, we're talking about justifying bad behavior. You know, I mean, I came mm-hmm. from Indiana where we worship basketball um, and uh, that that kind of stuff wrote a carte blanche uh, check for a dude to just completely rule a basketball program with intimidation and fear because he won a couple yeah. of championships back in the 70s and 80s. I, I just reject that paradigm. But I also can put myself in the the universe and like not get hung up on the fact that like, oh, well, this is, yeah, I, I, I think these are bad people behaving badly for bad reasons. But shit, I mean, that's that's true of a, a lot of fucking movies, you know? Um, yeah. And I think that part of why it's such a uh, a thing for me to like come to grips with this movie is because the movie says that says that too, like these are bad people and they suffer consequences in their lives for the way they're acting. But 
ultimately Uh the movie is saying like the industry at large is an important thing that's good for humanity and i don't know how i feel about that right because yeah exactly i don't know that i agree but on the other hand there is a story in here that is pretty uplifting uh of a character kind of deciding who she is um and deciding who she doesn't want to be and seeing herself turning into that and resisting it and i think like that that story of individual hope, I guess, is something that carries the movie and does make me like it. Um, and, and that's that's where I get torn because half of this movie I like, which is the smaller individual stuff, and then half of this movie I'm not so sure I like. Yeah, and and the fact that like I'm not even sure the movie itself agrees with like the Anne Hathaway's the Andy's character to kind of like reject fashion because it just feels like. Um, uh, I mean, there's this one quote from the director where he's talking to the producer and he's reading a script and he was talking about um, not liking it because um, the story he thought the story unnecessarily punished Miranda. And a, a quote from this this interview from director Frankel was my view was that we should be grateful for excellence. Why do the excellent people have to be nice? Like if that's the core conceit wow. of the director, I got to mm-hmm. feel like that like like my my thought of like ooh they're really not examining there's even a scene where it's like it's directly humanizing uh you know Miranda's character where she's you know going through a divorce and she's worried about her kids and like that kind of ice queen veneer slips for like 30 seconds before it snaps right back in place but i'm like i've got a other question why should we give excellent people a pass on being just terrible human beings yeah because for every instance of a person like Miranda or Robert Montgomery Knight or anybody else you can put in front of me as like, look at this fucking ball busting, hell breathing son of a bitch that got things done and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I can show you a person who is meek and humble and team oriented and uplifting that got maximum performances out of people mm-hmm. and excelled at the highest levels of their industry or sport. It's just like. Yeah, excellent people can be assholes, but why do we let them get away with it? Yeah. You know, why do we let the the David O. Russells of the world get away just being a fucking asshole to people when we got Wes Anderson making the same movies and everyone thinking it's a great experience and no one got screamed at or dehumanized? So on the other hand, this is a super fun movie with great crisp dialogue and uh, very talented and appealing people giving it like Emily Blunt, even though. You know, she's like all, all like her and Miranda and almost everyone at the fashion, the uh, Stanley Tucci, everybody is essentially shown as just the worst kind of rhymes with Emily Blunt in the world. <laughs> she's extremely fun to watch her like call. It's 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 funny to watch people call Anne Hathaway fat. You yeah, know, right. it's just so absurd. Right. Like like the, the movie, it has this kind of frame of reference of like, well, it's. You know, like, okay, well, Anne Hathaway is going to cry in the scene, but we know it's ridiculous. We know she's talented. We know she's this. We know she's that. We know she's not. But but like it is, it's just it's just fun. I don't it's really fun. Like this, everyone, I I read a lot of behind the scenes stuff about how tight knit this crew got and how like they invite each other to each other's weddings. And they it's kind kind of like a Lord of the Rings kind of cast where it's like. Had this really intense experience and it bonded everybody and everyone had a lot of fun making it. And you can kind of see that like Meryl Streep is having a ball 
you know, stalking through these offices, eviscerating people like, you know, filming the montages of her just throwing shit at her assistants and stuff. It's 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 a lot of fun to watch, even though it's terrible and stressful and all that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> and it's funny because like I've seen this movie about four times because I when it first came wow. out, I my son was like newborn and I didn't have time to watch movies. But it's you know, and it wasn't something I would search out. But I was you know got divorced and dating about five years after this movie was made and. A bunch of women really like this movie. And, you know, when we were like exchanging each other's favorite movies and stuff, this one kept on coming up and I watched it a couple of times. Um, and I, I remember that I have this experience almost every time I watch it. I get like all I get so stressed out at how like uh, Anne Hathaway is being treated and how she's just getting co-opted by the system and she's like mm-hmm. losing her. It's like it, it actually yeah. I forget that like, oh, the movie comes around at the end. To where she realizes all this and so, yeah every time like, the movie was making a move i was feeling that too because i realized how toxic what she was putting herself through is and yeah. the movie sees it as sort of a triumph right they're playing the, the suddenly i see song and mm-hmm, and like she's going mm-hmm. in for the big interview getting nailing the job and and like figuring it all out and it's it's like played as this oh she's coming into her own right she's she's feeling her way through this system and learning to master it. And that's exciting and empowering. And every step of the way, I'm like, no, it's not. It's toxic. It's going to destroy her. She's going to end up at 60 years old, getting a divorce from her third husband because her life is, you know, a shambles at home. Like, well, I see all those and I'm like, well, there's a movie. No, I'm yeah. seeing this. And then by the end, yes, it it definitely should. It definitely says like, we know you were feeling that all along. Here's her getting out. Yeah. And it's it um, we've seen I've seen so many dudes in that like role where it's like, uh, you know, they're really good at one thing to the exclusion of other. And they're like pushing mm-hmm. themselves to hone and they take this serious. It's like, you know, Adrian Grenier is in the thankless like wife role that we've seen right. so many people play uh, like where he's essentially um, Adrian from Rambo or not Rambo Rocky. Mm-hmm. She's uh, Jim Garrison's wife from JFK. Yeah, you know, just like right. hand wringing, like what? What about the kids? What about the birthdays? What about the part? What about our friends? What about you know? He's he's essentially trying to hold her back from this excellence, right? Mm-hmm. Um, most most of the movies when they go the other way, she would uh just you know like the way this movie usually goes down in movies is that she would just master the universe and uh you know you would just understand that like the sacrifices were worth it and she'd be getting an award at the end and you know adrian ganeer would be in the audience with tears in his eyes clapping for her i I like the fact that nah this movie like steps out of that and like the star quarterback is like you know what i am spending too much of my life on football i wanted to be a war correspondent i'm going to start fucking getting back into the thing i wanted to do like she does that um which is which is cool. But you're right. There is something kind of wretchedly naive about the whole thing, too, that, you know. Yeah, I, I can't help but see it through the lens where I'm currently at, because I, I think, <laughs> look, 2006 was it was on the cusp of of a change in uh, vibe, I think, everywhere, at, at least for me. Like, yeah. let's not you know, there are probably people who are a generational. Sure. They're like, it's always been shit and you just didn't know it. Because you were a naive. Yeah, this kid. is post 9-11, which is the thing that's supposed to change everything you know, right, in a right. lifetime. So yeah, I, I view this as like the 39-year-old lens. 
in 2021 going, God, this is all toxic. Don't teach kids to don't have a fucking toast to jobs that pay the rent because that's every fucking job. Like if it's a job, it pays the rent and that should be it. You fucking you go to the chicken joint to put in your application (laughs) and it says one of the perks of the job is a fun work environment. Fuck that. We treat everyone like like family here. Get fucked. Uh Pay pay me a a living wage and then we'll talk about the fun perks of this environment. Yeah. Like all that shit just gets wrapped up in this movie. And I, I don't know how to come out the other side feeling anything, but like a grudging hope, a begrudging hope, I guess. Um, we're like, okay, maybe if, if you translate Anne Hathaway's experience in this movie to every single person on the planet, we can start to make some progress on that shit. But like the right. movie has nothing to say about that. Right, right. I mean, they, they, they offhand reference the millions of girls who would like this job as if that right. is... Again, you know, uh, uh, a reason to abuse people and and use them, but also the idea that like so many of those millions of girls are just never even going to get the shot, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, because they didn't go to the right schools and had the right family. Like even this, like the like I, it is interesting how like my ears are kind of like really pricked up to like look at the like you know she went to this elite uh, college and she's working her professional and and educational family connections to even get this job and. Mm Like, you know, there's just a lot of people that just would 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 never even. And, and I don't I don't know. Like I said, that's like that's where it's like my my personal politics are in in uh, at war. It's the same way with Wolf yeah. of Wall Street. It's like it's a super fun For movie sure. to watch, but everything is repellent, you yep. know, uh, about about <laughs> this. Um, I, I the, this movie is beautiful to watch. It's it's fun to watch because, again, it's largely uh, attractive people like Emily Blunt and Anne Hathaway going around in cute outfits. Um, it was costumed by per, Patricia Field, which uh, Cecily because like it's funny because I felt like I was watching a director's commentary track because <laughs> Cecily was like when we're watching this, she was just like putting in all these little like interesting tidbits. Apparently, this is the woman who um did the costuming and like fashion consulting for sex in the city okay so like she's very good at making people look stylish and also like expressing character through through dress mm-hmm. um which is one of the things you know annoying things about fashion is like yeah i think it's a sham and it's stupid and maybe we'd all be better if we just had like some kind of human uniform we could wear each day <laughs> but like it is better you know like the the clothes we wear is, are the billboard that we put out like 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 there's an, another quote in here because I, I read a bunch of stuff about this like how seriously should we we treat fashion especially with this movie as the, as the lens mm-hmm. um and and one of the quotes I, I read was that like you can't like fashion is one of those things you can't escape if you like affect like uh, indifference to fashion that is a fashion as well yeah yeah you know, rejection of fashion norms is a way to be fashionable as well. And people can be like cool that way. Um, so like, yeah, I, 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 I know that like if I wear pajama bottoms and Crocs out um, in public, it's saying something about me. It does. Uh, namely that I've given up on life. Yeah. Uh, and I, I know that I can't wear those. out. I can wear those, but I can wear them out of the house. But like, I don't know if I like that, you know, but but it is the way it is, you know. It is, yeah. Um, and it, to me, so, so this movie was nominated for Best Costume Design uh, in the Academy Awards, and it did not win. Probably it deserved it. Lost really? to Marie Antoinette, uh, which, okay, oh, period pieces that. usually yeah. uh, have a little more sway uh, in they costume love that shit. design. Uh, 
I will say I so so I dislike Anne Hathaway's fashion when she first starts when she interviews like those mom sweaters are pretty bad uh but there is an in between between where she looks like her grandma and she looks like uh incredibly attractive socialite at the end there's an in between phase where Stanley Tucci is dressing her and I think that is the that is the quintessential fashionista look that I hate that I cannot stand and this obviously says something about me uh mm. but she she shows up in this i don't know trash jacket uh the first day after <laughs> and she gets noticed and everybody's like oh god she looks so good i'm like no With the boots that to go all the terrible. way up to the crotch yeah yeah i thought the first outfit her coming out outfit was not great that whole montage but... i hated like every day she's coming in the office she's wearing a new mm. outfit or it's a really cool montage, right? Like I, I love what they yeah, do yeah. with it, where she's walking across the street, a car will pass and her outfit will change or she'll mm-hmm. go through a turnstile and like past a pillar and her outfit is different on the other side of the pillar. And it's all one continuous thing of her traveling to work. That was a really cool montage. All the outfits are terrible. All of them. I don't know. That, I mean, because this it's subjective, right? It's art. I yeah. actually, other than that first outfit, I remember thinking, um, wow, she looks really put together and uh, kind of timeless, too. I thought her and Meryl Streep, uh, even though we're 15 years later, they still look stylish because yeah, those, I those think they're dressed a little bit more blazers and where, where yeah. Emily Blunt looks a little clubby <laughs> a little you know, zoolander because that, that's because, what I she, hate, because yeah. she was really off into and I, I i read that that was an intentional character choice that they were like really showing that she is so close to the razor's edge she's like might be even falling off of it so it well, makes I sense think that that's her, why i think she looks so bad in those scenes in those outfits is because stanley tucci is dressing her and he is this 18 year veteran of the fashion industry who right. the only thing that gets him up in the morning is experimenting with high fashion like going yeah off the fucking deep end with you know transparent plastics for dresses and shit like that yeah, they're auteur right right and so when he dresses her Couture. he's gonna put her in that shit that he thinks is good when she starts dressing herself i think she looks much classier and much yeah. uh, much better much much better too like I, I i love where they end her personal style like at the end of the movie where she gets the grudging yeah. like nod and smile from meryl streep like i think that's like the alpha mm-hmm um, it's funny because like uh, I really I think I think Anne dress is really cute when she's right out of like her college phase and she's wearing the mom sweaters and like the heavy uh, like yeah, okay it's funny but I feel like I they're like of the women I've dated 90% could be classified as easy e- either early Andy mid mid Prada Andy or in the Prada like they were all aspiring or trying to fit in those molds which i think is is interesting to go back and look at that and remember like oh fuck yeah like i mean this movie was had to be influential on the on the the fashion world and like how people perceived it yeah especially Um, like when you are not living in a city that is known for its fashion like we're talking about the midwest here right um yes nobody in the midwest dressing like a new yorker in the same year so Right. That shit filters out through the media. It filters out through the magazines, which are already a cycle behind. Right. Like talk Mm -hmm. about that kind of fast fashion stuff where cycles change every not even every season, but every issue of a magazine. Um, And now with the online stuff, they'll just change every time you click on a different article. Uh, Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can imagine like some of the people who saw this movie in 2006 are probably still dressing that way. 
mm-hmm. just like I still dress yeah. like it's the mid 90s essentially that's a good point like i've tried to keep up with some things like i don't know like the short lengths on on men's shorts are, are getting short again might have um, gone up but like yeah, yeah but yeah like i it's uh, i'm pretty quintessential like jeans and t-shirt guy which says something about my lack of participation i remember when mm-hmm. i when i was starting to rejoin the dating world i had a guy who is in the high fashion who is a bit of a clothes horse and keeps up with this stuff and i I kept saying, I was like, I just can't pull this shit off, man. It's not who I am. Like, I'm going to like if if I do successfully pull it off, I'll be pulling off something I'm not. And then like when I inevitably regress to the pajama pants and Crocs, it's going to disappoint the person, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. because I I don't think I don't think uh, Meryl Streep in this, you know, she might uh, not wear makeup when she's sobbing about her divorce, but she's still wearing like five thousand dollars silk pajamas and Gucci slippers and shit. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That's that's not what 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 I'm getting up to. When, or the when opposite will happen, right? And you will change who you are to match the persona that you're putting on, because that's what happens to Anne Hathaway in this movie, and I think that's legit too. Yeah, it's almost like a a Stockholm syndrome, right? Kind of you know, like she went to it as a person who eschewed all this stuff mm-hmm. and was wanting to be a serious journalist. And I love how like they tell us that she's becoming a serious journalist because the place is like, Oh, I saw you did a piece on the homeless. That's all what we're all about. Like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. I get it. This is a serious journalism outfit. They're talking about the homeless. Um, but they, t- they take that person who's like, not doesn't care about fashion into a person that cares about fashion just to be good at the job until they unironically care about fashion. Right. But do they like that's what I'm saying? Like, that's why the Stockholm syndrome is so useful, because like, is she really like fashion or is she just like this high achieving woman who found a person who cannot be pleased and the desire to make to get that nod or God forbid, a smile is so strong that she is just completely internalized and, you know, yeah, defends all the bad behavior, et cetera, et cetera. You got me thinking. Because now maybe I'm viewing this movie, the end of this movie, the wrong way. Maybe what happens here is not that Anne Hathaway escapes a toxic uh, industry that is hellbent on killing everyone that steps foot into it. Uh, and, and maybe the planet along with it. Maybe she's not escaping. She's just integrating fashion into her life in a healthy way because she doesn't revert to the mom sweaters and Right. You know, baggy T-shirts that she was in at the beginning of this movie. She reverts to some like medium where she feels good about the way she looks, but she's not letting it consume her life. And I think like mm-hmm. that's the best you can hope for with fashion, right, is just to feel good in the clothes you're in uh, and not, not make your clothes, not let your clothes make you feel worse about yourself. Actually do the opposite, make you make you feel better about yourself in them. But also not be so consumed by the idea of being up on the latest fashions that you drain your wallet or drain your, your will to live uh, in Anne Hathaway's case, that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, because like integrating fashion in a healthy sense, I don't know what that means. Um, like I said, like I, I, I really only pay attention to fashion because I know that if I stop, then that will tell the world something about me that I'm not necessarily comfortable with, which is namely I've given up thinking, caring about what the world thinks about me. Sure. Um, 
So like I I don't know because like I kept on having like for example I, I want to talk about the cerulean speech mm-hmm. uh, that that where she talks about they they hold up these two belts which I swear to God are identical the buckles this are is the like only Pam difference. yeah this is like Pam from the office where it's like these are these are two literally identical things and mm-hmm. everyone in the room turns and's like oh you fucking unwashed tj Maxx whore mm-hmm. with your goddamn opinion on these belts and they launch into like look at your blue sweater that you that you 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 don't even know that someone five years ago in milan made that color popular and it's cycled through the pages of vogue and fashion until it went down to the department stores and the walmarts and then you picked it up at a brand and you just uh, beyond it you are relying on these people with better taste, which I'm calling disgusting right now. And you participate in society, even though you're critical of society. How very curious. I'm very intelligent. It's like, what the fuck is all this goddamn double talk? Like if she literally just bought that shit because it was, she needed a sweater to be warm and it's on like, what difference does it make if it's cerulean or purple or blue or yellow? Like it, it's like, I don't think she bought it because like, it's just, it's just a fucking sweater. She bought off the rack because it was cheap and it kept her warm. Holy shit. Like speech only works on her because she cares about the fashion a little bit. Like you could tell she does at the beginning, but mm. she takes offense when everybody says, oh, you don't, you know, you obviously don't care about fashion. I guess, yeah, I guess that's because I don't, I guess I've never met a person like that before which didn't care about fashion and if you called them on it wouldn't be like how dare you say that i don't have any style or fashion i don't know maybe maybe that's what happens to like 30 and 40 year olds when they're like still dressing like they're in high school and then the kids make fun of them sure but like i i I just like to me it's like you had to buy into the argument for the art it felt Mm -hmm. like it felt like a chick tract you know where like uh the the innocent christian freshman gets up to confront the evil evolution teacher and just whips their ass in an argument because the evolution teacher is roughly as smart as the chick track writer and has no idea about anything. That's what it felt right. like. It's like you're this is a speech written to seem impressive and like an own. But like if Anne Hathaway was not essentially an indentured servant that couldn't effectively or rhetorically fight back without real fear of losing her job and standing, mm-hmm. then it'd be easy to demolish the argument. But it's like. I don't know. So many people cite this as like a great argument for fashion where like, I think like Tuki makes a, or Tucci makes a bet, a better argument later in the film where it's like, essentially, you know, it's art and it's art that you wear and it tells people things about you. Um, I don't know. The Cerulean speech just really left me cold. Yeah. I, th- I think that only works on people who do care about fashion, right? Like, um, and I, w- I won't say that I, totally don't care about fashion yeah i wear jeans and t-shirts 99 percent of the time um but there was a period where that wasn't true and i think i felt better about myself when that wasn't true um Mm -hmm. but you have to sort of buy into the concept of fashion being important for this speech to land because if you don't if if anne hathaway says and yeah so the 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 effect of it is completely washed away yeah yeah she gets fired right. but also the speech means nothing right because right, right it right. only has as much power as the person who's listening to the speech gives it and that's yeah i, I don't know it's the weird thing about fashion because if none of us cared mm. about fashion then none of this would matter right that's but, true but, but we that's do true. and so it does matter 
Right. Um, so that's another question I have about fashion, because this is based on a real life person. Um, I, we've, we've mentioned her, uh, Ann Winter, who is the real life editor in chief of Vogue magazine. And the um, writer of, of the novel this is based on. Yeah. Well, she's, so she's the, the writer of the novel is the, her real life assistant, um, who did like, you know, this oh, is oh, you're talking about the, the editor of Vogue. Okay. Yeah. Um, they, they'd say that her opinion is the only one that matters. Hmm. And I guess my question is why? Why does one yeah. person have the ability to shape fashion to the extent that they they literally can? Like, you know, all these designers have these designs and they're all probably roughly artist as, as artistic and blah and they're all very extreme. Like, why does one person get to say what is hot? And what if they're wrong? Like, how do you know that they're wrong? There's a, I, I was reading some about this this uh, Ann Winter and I guess there was like this this grunge trend in the 90s, mm-hmm. you know, and she single handedly quashed it. But she said it's because it didn't sell well. And it's like one of these things where it's like it's hard to have the opinion that this is all about art. And then you have an argument about what sells because what sells has nothing to do with like actual taste. Mm-hmm. It has much more to do with marketing and like what appears in fashion magazines like Vogue. Right. So it's like. I don't know, like, well, how how does someone get in, and, and I this is probably beyond the scope of the podcast, but I was fascinated. Like, how does one person get into where they're, they're the tastemaker for eight billion people on this planet? Also, I take offense to the idea that it doesn't sell. You look at my fucking high school circa nineteen ninety seven, and I will tell you, grunge will fucking sell. It'll sell off the fucking shelves. So get the grunge out there. People will wear in it. the Midwest, maybe the Pacific uh-huh. Northwest, a bunch of unwise, but that's shaying on a play and. <laughs> Not LA, anymore. That New was York, 90, Milan. 93, uh, <laughs> 94. Yeah, it, no, it, it's it, I don't know. It, it's it has to do with power as as much as anything does. Right. It has to do with power and money and. Respect, I guess, like if you make a name for yourself in fashion to the point where you control the most popular fashion magazine as portrayed in this movie, Runway. Um you have the ability maybe maybe not like the right or whatever but the ability certainly to sway fashion in 2006 before Mm. the internet has become what it is i think this is another way in which the movie shows cracks in the internet age uh here in 2021 is i think fashion is a lot more uh diverse now because of the internet you don't have a, a, a magazine like vogue runway whatever um yeah creating fashion and essentially saying mm-hmm. this is what you all will wear because this is all we put in the outlets that, you know, you have for fashion. Mm-hmm. Uh, nowadays, you can do a lot more. So I think, you know, if you're the head of a very popular fashion magazine. That gives you the ability, maybe not. Like I said, the right, but the ability to fa- to change fashion. This episode is brought to you by Saks.com at Saks.com. It's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. See, I guess that's the one other thing that like bothers me about fashion um, is like, you know, like back in the day, the dawn of fashion is probably sometime 30, 40,000 years ago where we're all wearing deer jerkins. Mm-hmm. It's all brown animal skin colors. And then somebody spent uh, a couple hundred hours picking all the pretty stones out of the out of the river, crushing them into beads, drilling holes like this took just a thousand hours. And they, they came out one day with a deer jerkin with a fucking rainbow crow on the back made mm-hmm. out of shiny beads. And people like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> Holy fuck. Look at and like, but that someone's genius and creativity and hard work and effort. Like, yeah. it's significantly less cool if you could just buy a million of those, you know, rainbow bearded crow deer jerkins off off the rack. For sure. And now I feel like the fashion is a lot of times a stand in for like wealth and class. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you can look stylish without breaking the bank. But holy fuck, you got to do your homework and you got to dive through, you know, thrift stores and you got to modify this and you got to and and you but but like. A wealthy person can just buy style, just like get a personal shopper and be like, hey, make me look good. And so like it's less about your individual expression and more signaling to people that like you have a certain amount of status or wealth or Mm -hmm. are willing to spend the time and money to ape the style and wealth of of someone that has that. And it's not about, again, individual expression. Right. And that's the the irony. Like you talked about the grunge stuff, right? People didn't start wearing grunge clothes because they thought they looked cool. People started wearing grunge clothes because they couldn't fucking afford anything else because they were shopping at thrift stores and all they had was the fucking grandpa sweater with the hole in the the, for the thumb and the arm. And like, yeah. And then the big, you know, baggy jeans that were two sizes too big because, oh, they're out of 34s this this week. I guess I got to buy the 38s. and, and oh, they have holes in the knees. Well, fuck me, I guess. I'm wearing a holy pair of jeans. Right. And, right. and then you turn that into high fashion, right? Because it, it becomes a thing. Um, it, it, yeah, there, there has always been like a push and pull between why, you know, why fashion is what fashion is um, and the clothes that people wear just to get by. Yeah. And it's like, I also feel like when you go back and look at people, um, you know, whenever I've admired someone from like the 60s to the 70s, it's not usually when they have like the tie dye shit and the bell bottoms. It's usually when they're wearing something that looks classic, timeless. Right. Yeah. And I, I, was, I was thinking like uh, I could see like Tan- Stanley Tucci's character, like looking back at the way they're dressed 15 years ago. And like, oh, my God, what was I thinking with this leopard print or uh. these pattern leather jeans or what, whatever. But like. That's what they're constantly chasing that stuff where they look ridiculous, even 10 or 15 or, you know, five, 10, 15 years in the rearview mirror. And the other thing is like, it keeps recycling. Mm-hmm. Like it was the, it's always the joke of like, in you know, when I was growing up in the eighties and nineties, like, Oh my God, the seventies, we're never going to go back to bell bottoms. And we're never going to go back to this other, like, we're never going to go back to pastel shit. It always comes back. And now we're like saying, oh, we're never going to go back to the shit that we were doing in the 90s because, oh, my God, how tacky was that? All this. Mm. But like, I guarantee we're just 10, 15 years from doing it. So it's like, I don't know. Uh, Yeah. Fashion, like especially when you're talking about high fashion, it just seems like a little bit of a scam, a little bit of a. 
Oh, I hate uh, high fashion. Our, like the the shit you see at at runway shows, um, at like yeah. actual fashion shows. I think looks god awful, and I I would never wear anything that they show in those. Uh, but I I guess that's where you get the experimentation, right? That's the that's where the oh, art there's comes one in, yeah. like particular bedazzled bracelet that people like that comes out of that, or a new shape, or a color. Or a, a color. color cerulean came out, yeah. Right, and then they transfer that to normal clothes that real people will wear, uh, not you know some future fifth element type shit. Uh, uh, you can tell based on this podcast that we have never had an opportunity to talk about fashion in any sort of uh, right meaningful way because we're just unloading we right yeah. on our our yeah, opinions on we fashion. We really are. We really are. We should probably talk um, about the movie. That'd be good. Yeah. Uh, so okay this is another thematic thing uh that i'm i'm not so sure at is that this job this this movie um equates doing well at your job with unhappiness and stress like literally that's a direct quote it's like oh you're doing well your job that's why you're unhappy and you're nervous and you're feeling stressed out all the time um surely like I, i it does seem to i think that's literally true like every time I've advanced in my career, it's been at the expense of more work and more stress. Um, and when I think about when I was back in like, you know, more uh, carefree kind of like easygoing days, it was more low pay, you know, kind of a factory style assembly line type of stuff. Do you think it's something we're ever going to get out of or like or, or what? what is like I, I feel like this this film kind of shows how that's a perpetual motion machine mm-hmm. of like you know scarce opportunities people putting people through the meat grinder to get it and then once you survive that process the social pressure to be like ah this is the way can't do it better because again why should we punish excellent people uh yeah it's <laughs> Hmm. because that's the thing is like the movie like doesn't end with Anne Hathaway like essentially taking a vow of poverty to like go back to Ohio the rural Ohio and just be poor and happy doing investigative journalism she gets like uh, her foot in the door of like this very it's a fictitious but prestigious New York outfit that writes about homeless people like it's a fault it's like because she worked in the fashion industry right right so it's not the choice between do it's it's almost like uh you know, sell your soul for a year until mm-hmm. you can get your other dream job. But then Not you like at choose between Tushy's character who's been selling his soul for 18 years is super excited about getting out of that position and into something where he can call the shots and then yep. he gets screwed out of that. Right. So that's the other side of that, that sword there. And that was a real scene where she's like, he's yeah. like, Oh, she'll pay. She'll, she'll get, she'll get me back for being, She'll pay me back for being for my loyalty and for doing this. And she's and Hathaway's like, are you sure about sure about this? And he's like, nope. But, you know, what what else am I going to do? Um, God damn, that was sad because he was so happy. Yeah, I know. Right. And like that was that was one of the great pieces of filmmaking where they showed everyone being ecstatic. Like one guy mm-hmm. was kind of like in a mean way, like, haha, I'm fucking your terrible boss. And I want to be the new number one, get number two. I'm going to be the Stanley Tucci at this and then Stanley talking about like, oh, I'm so excited to work with this guy and it's going to be my ticket out of here and blah, blah, blah. And then like four different dreams get crushed by the olds. Yeah. And they kind of go around. You see it like register in everyone's face like, oh, God, I'm <laughs> uh, that that was a that was a great piece of like efficient filmmaking. 
Uh, it is, yeah. Because all those were like character building scenes for Anne Hathaway, and you just think of it like that all like came together. Fifteen minutes of like you know scenes and like oh yeah, she's finding out this. She's got to go protect her boss, and oh no, Batucci's saying oh, uh, all all turned in like a thirty second scene. Uh, it's really really great. Yeah, it just it sets up this um, idea that you like you said you have to sell your soul for this job uh, if you want to work in the heights of this industry and sort of makes that an expectation of everyone. And I, I think that's the problem here, right? Is like everything is turning into that. There doesn't seem to be an industry that that provides a living wage that gives you the opportunity to have a balanced life as well. Um, it's It asks everything to, to give you everything or it, it asks, you know, still quite a bit um, in order to give you basically nothing. And that's kind of where yeah. we're at. And so like when I'm seeing this movie, I'm thinking of those things. I'm thinking of, mm-hmm. man, she's selling her soul here. Uh, and then at the end of the movie, I guess she gets out or comes to some equilibrium and she mm-hmm. might be the success story, but there are so many people out there who are not. And, and the idea that like, what she's going to put in 40 hours a week, clock out at her prestigious New York, blow the lid off the homeless situation, journalism job. Like, I'm pretty sure those right. people work crazy hours, too. So, like, it's this excel in any field. Uh, yeah, that's know? what I mean. Like, the, the jobs that, that are <laughs> worth having nowadays uh, are jobs that also demand your entire life. Um, there's a, a crazy crunch for productivity across the board, uh, for the heights of excellence across the board. Uh, there's no room for jobs that pay the bills, I guess. Yeah. Well, we don't see those as worth paying. You know, it's like, oh, those are just mm-hmm. like, oh, those are, those are, you know, it's like if, if you can't afford to live full time off a job, well, then that job is meant for teenagers and retirees. <laughs> but like, you know, oh, there are McDonald's enough uh, jobs teen- that pay the bills to go around. I guess you're going to have to get multiple jobs to do. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Like I was wondering, it's like, well, well, who staffs McDonald's when the teenagers are in school, you know? Oh, retirees. Oh, well, then who's greeting the doors at Walmart during the day? Like, what the fuck? Um, yeah, uh, I also, I thought that it was a really great rhetorical trick to ju- the movie made where they set up Anne Hathaway to where she has to bet- betray Emily, but she, she doesn't have a choice. Like, I mean, she does have a choice. She could quit her job. Um, yeah, which is like the movie's already made a point, like what a huge sunk cost fallacy that all is. Right. But then at the end of the movie where like Anne Hathaway is like, I could never do what you just did to Stanley Tucci and Meryl Streep's like, ha ha, but you already have my child. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of worked on me, but then when I was, I was, uh, I didn't sleep well last night. I was thinking about the things and I'm like, well, it's fundamentally a different story. If you're a young and hungry person trying to get your foot in the door, things that you have to do because your asshole boss decides it. And like your only job, you you can either fall on your sword or, or fall in line. That's way different than a woman who's like worth a couple of hundred million dollars. And even if she got ousted from her prestige, she'd just go, she could probably start her own fucking, mm-hmm. you know, Miranda magazine in magazine and probably yeah. be even more successful than she was before. Like, it's not the same fucking choice, you know? Sure. Uh, and I felt like the movie pulled a fast one by trying to make it seem, but, but also maybe that's the brilliance of the scene is that that is Anne Hathaway's character kind of like realizing what's going on that like, no, these things aren't the same. 
But also I'm 30 years away from being Miranda where I will eat my mm-hmm. own children or kill my own husband or murder my best <laughs> friend to get ahead and, or, and stay ahead. Yeah. And, and there are a couple of moments like that. I think when uh, Nate breaks up with her um, or it, I guess they there's a mutual breakup here, right? He like he points out to her that she's changed. Um, yeah. They're and then they break up. That, that's another one of those moments where she should have some some sense of like, oh, yeah, actually, I am. And it, it takes that one two punch, right, of her uh, boyfriend breaking up with her and pointing out that she's changed. And then Miranda saying she's already becoming her uh, mm-hmm. to then wake her up and make her, you know, get out of that car and just walk away from it all. I thought it was really interesting to see diff- people's different uh, reactions because I, I read a lot of retrospective like on the 10. There's a bunch of 10 year think pieces about this that came out five years ago. Obviously, sure. I can do math. Um, people were really upset about Adrian Grenier's character um, giving her shit about like, you know, missing his birthday because of an important work event. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know if you're watching the same movie, but that was like. That was where it's already kind of too late, you know, like he's kind of looking for an excuse to break up with her because she's let them down. So, so much. Uh, And I to the extent that, like, I think this movie, I don't know, this movie is not a serious movie. It's it's fun and it's it's well made and it's well acted uh, and it looks great. But like serious, I don't I don't know. But I feel like this movie would have been even better had she not got back together with her boyfriend at the end. Cause I still think that mm. they have fundamentally changed as people and it, I don't know. It felt weak for her just to jump right back into like, Oh, you know what? I realized you were right. I was wrong about everything. Fuck Miranda. Um, I don't know. I, I felt like it had been better if she just doesn't get back together with him. I, yeah, I don't know if I agree. I th- I think, uh, look, these are like storybook tales, right? Like people, people take a long time to change their mind. They take a long time to realize the situation they're in, all that stuff. And this movie is more of a storybook where she changes her mind instantly mm. and we have to believe that she's changed it for good. Um, and there's no residual uh, something going on here. But it, I like that once she does realize that she doesn't want to be the person she was becoming that she can go back to the life she had. Um, and because, because it never seemed like that life was something she didn't want. It just seemed like she got sidetracked from a life that she did want by a life uh, by, you know, success by, um, Stockholm. Yeah. By, by whatever it was that, that drew her in about fashion. Uh, she gets over that at the end and yeah, it's storybook, but it works. I I have a completely different read from most people the think pieces from five years ago about that boyfriend uh, breakup or, you know, the, the birthday party scene, rather. Um, first of all, I think Adrian uh, Grenier's character, Nate, is pretty shitty about this be- because he's just passive aggressive, right? She comes back and he's like, not talking to her. I'm going to bed. You look really pretty. That's fucking passive aggressive as shit. Uh, that sucks. But he is 100% right about her turning into a person that she did not want to be um, at the beginning of this. And I don't think he needs to like try and stay in a relationship with a person that he didn't get into that relationship with if he doesn't want to. Um, and she would have every right to say, 
yeah, we're different people and we should go our separate ways because I'm turning into a better person if she perceives it that way. I, I don't think anybody did anything wrong other than like the passive aggressive nature of the compliments he's giving her on a, a birthday night where he's obviously disappointed and trying to make her feel bad about right. missing his birthday. It's tough. It's tough when someone lets you down, like yeah. on a long line of letting down, because like sometimes like you can like, well, I can be aggressive, aggressive, passive, aggressive, or just not respond at all. Right. And, and like, all those things feel kind of shitty, but right. And also you're got your roiling base of emotions too. Um, but uh, I, I don't know. It, it's, it's, it's tough. It's, it's tough because like, I do think that um, they did drift apart and she did change as yeah. a person. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I and it's like interesting you said, too because this story because like so that like then getting back together was this movie's version of him clapping for her with tears in his eyes at a work event that she's getting you know awarded as fashion assistant of the year or whatever. Um, yeah, it's the happy it's the happy ending. I also think it's nice that he doesn't like save her from this fate. Right, he points out that like yeah. that that there is some stuff that he doesn't agree with happening here, um, and that. But by the end, like she has to have that realization for herself when like Miranda points out, hey, you've already made this choice. Then she goes, oh, shit. Yeah, I have. And then decides not to. It's not like he swoops in and saves the day. So that's pretty cool. Uh, I, I will say um, my wife, when I told her I was watching this movie, said, oh, that boyfriend character is really shitty. I, I don't like him. I, I like the movie, but mm. the, I don't like the boyfriend character. And I'm like looking for it throughout this movie. Like, what does she like about this guy? And he's, I, he's, I never could he's put the Skyler White. On. He's the Skyler White. He's the guy that's wanting her to not succeed yeah. at being the badass version of herself that she's becoming. It's true. Even though but I didn't that's hate Skylar a bad White. version of herself. So, <laughs> like, uh, yeah, like I, I said, I'll cop to hating Skylar White for the first few seasons, like for sure. I, oh, I, oh, not for that reason, though. Not because she's like standing in there trying she's to the say, Betty hey, Draper, you're becoming right? a drug dealer and a murderer. Maybe don't yeah, do that. Yeah, yeah. She's like the Betty Draper uh, or he's the Betty Draper yeah. role. Like, you know, the person that's keeping the bad, bad person from from being awesome. Yeah. Um, I did like I, I also thought like because I, I hadn't seen this movie for a while and I was thinking like. Whether the movie's going to pull its punch with Emily Blunt because they have Emily Blunt getting ran over by a car. Well, yeah, you can't go to you can't go to Paris now. I thought they mm-hmm. were going to find a way to have Anne Hathaway be able to take her spot without actually taking her spot. Same here. I actually admired the movie going for it and just having all that happen. But I don't know, because the other thing that's like hard to f- fathom is that Emily Blunt is so terrible to Anne Hathaway that like Anne Hathaway would essentially have like Christ right like patience to not you know, feel anything about cock blocking her Paris, you know, she yeah. says so many terrible things about her. Um, and just, I don't know the scene of Emily Blunt in the hospital, get gown all battered up. And she's like, just, just hoofing down yeast rolls and, uh, chocolate pudding right. and stuff like that. As she's complaining about Andy, you know, this, that, the you other eat carbs um, for God's sake. Yeah. <laughs> she eats carbs for good sakes. For God's there are a couple sakes. of really she, good jokes in this actually. Like I, I love when Andy's first on the job and she's like, gets a, her first phone call and she's like, could you spell Gabbana? Says <laughs> <laughs> hang up on her. So good. So good. Yeah. And uh, she, I, I, there's so many things that she was asking about uh, or so many great lines that Emily Blunt is able to, to, 
deliver like uh, her whole like wish me luck and uh, in Paris. And she's like, no, shan't. Uh, <laughs> and like, I swear, if you if you screw up my Paris uh, trip for me, I'm going to search every blimpy in the tri-state area. <laughs> <laughs> and then even at the end where she's trying to do something nice for her, she's like, hey, I brought back a bunch of high fashion clothes from Paris. She's like, well. If you come and she's come and pick me up, says, well, of course, it's an imposition and I'll have to take them in because I'll be swimming in them. But sure, right. I guess I, right. it's it's and then like, oh, also her just this isn't even a, um, a line, but like her performance when she finds out that uh, Anne Hathaway's dad's coming in from Ohio for the weekend. Mm hmm. Like her face is like a fucking course. Your dad's from Ohio. Like that's even like worse. I, I don't know. As a person who loves from uh, that lives in Ohio, I love everyone taking shots. At middle yeah. America, it's it's good. Tucci's got some real so, good ones too. Um, the, the, when yeah. he, he sees her in the diner and she's getting corn chowder, he's like, "Oh, you do know that cellulite is the one, one of the main ingredients in corn chowder, right?" <laughs> <laughs> he's he's the one that comes off the best because he's as snide yeah. as anybody, but he's a lot more warm and like the way he takes her under is. I, I feel like mm-hmm. he's the one that comes off looking most heroic. Plus, he gets just completely fucked at the end of this movie yeah and takes it like a, a fashion soldier should and he's the guy uh, like who you know because miranda is or sorry not miranda uh emily blunt's character what is her name emily is emily <laughs> yeah is too close to the situation to have any sympathy for uh andrea Right. She's she's in the position. She doesn't want Andrea usurping her. All this stuff is mixed up in it. Whereas uh, right. she, I don't know Stanley Tucci's character. Nigel. Nigel. Nigel is too. Uh, he, he's farther removed from it. Right. And he probably remembers like being that intern and being shit on and like can sympathize with her a little bit more from a place of power where he doesn't fear that she's going to swoop in and take his job. Um, and so he can oh, take yeah. her under the, under the wing uh, a little bit. And yeah, I liked that. I thought their relationship was one of the better in the movie. Yeah, Stanley Tucci is just really good. Uh, mm-hmm. And he's this is one of, I think, my favorite performances of his. Yeah, it's uh, good. But they're all that's the thing. It's like it. I never felt bad about Emily Blunt getting fucked because she's such a snide, catty person. Um, just mm-hmm. openly has contempt for Anne, Anne Hathaway. And the same thing. It's like, I think I feel like this movie tried to humanize Miranda a little bit, but like you kind of get a glimpse when, when uh, Anne Hathaway sneaks in their house or gets up on a friend, she, she interrupts her and her husband having a fight. Like they're essentially mm-hmm. having a 30 year older argument that her and her boyfriend are having about her spending too much time and not paying attention to this, that and the other. So it's like, I mean, I don't know because the other thing is Miranda just doesn't feel like a real character to me to the extent that like I was wondering if like um, some of the people that are the that they they have some sort of spectrum issue where they just don't like I mean it's 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 a kind of a documented thing that uh, that like psychopathy is a leading predictor of like I don't know maybe it's a causal uh, a casual link rather than causal what I'm trying to say is a crazy amount of uh, people that are CEOs and I guess high ranking politicians too tend to be on the sociopath spectrum. Hmm. Uh, like so many things that like uh, Meryl Streep did in this movie are just psycho behavior. Like yeah, just to throwing sure. shit at people and, and telling them uh, to do in just impossible things. Yeah. You know, like there's a couple of casual ones like 
uh, find me that scrap of paper I held in my hand two mornings ago. (laughs) Right. Like all the way to like, get me the unreleased manuscript of Harry Potter, the the new Harry Potter book. Yeah. Uh, it's just, and and, then, then when the person fails to meet your crazy high standards, make it seem like it's their personal failure and they're just too stupid to do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just have a hard time feeling sorry for that. The, those type of people. Oh, I do too. You've got something untreated that you need to get treated or you're just a bad person. Uh, I don't feel any sympathy for Miranda in this, although I will say they come about as close as they can with the time that they devote to it because Meryl Streep is so fucking good. Like yeah. the, the scene in the hotel where um, Andrea brings the, the book or whatever it is. And mm-hmm. her husband has just said that he's getting a divorce and all this. Mm-hmm. And there there's moments where they approach some level of sympathy for her. Um, yeah. But the way she immediately turns it right back to the show must go on sort of thing that uh-huh. immediately kills that all sympathy. that. And Stanley yep. Tucci too. I, I have a lot of sympathy for him and probably the most sympathy of any character uh, in the movie, aside from, you know, the main protagonist uh, because mm. he, you know, gets fucked, but he also seems to care about people in a way that Miranda definitely doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't seem to have all of his humanity ground out of him by the job. Uh, right. Even though he puts on that air a, a little bit or, as much as he needs to, I think, to get by to please the people who are higher uh, in, the stru- in the power structure than him so that he can eventually get to the place where Miranda is. Yeah, and I guess I'm, I'm also just probably a little bit more sympathetic towards women in people, people like Miranda's position because they just have to run such an extra gauntlet mm-hmm. um, and they have to, you know, like to, to get to a position and keep the amount of power that, and, and sway and influence that she's that she's got. You know, you, you have to you have to scrap for it. Um, yeah. But still, it's like, yeah, at the at the end of the day, um, she's a terrible person that's abusing people. And it's pretty it's pretty rough to watch, and especially person- since like that. It's like the Anne Hathaway is like got the hero's journey where like the first time, you know, it's like it's like a progression where the first time she gets the impossible task, she fails. Mm-hmm. But she learns what she needs to do to get the set. So it's like it feels like the hero's journey when she is just becomes like, hey, here is I exploited this uh, personal relationship to get you this impossible thing. And I have somehow memorized 150 people's faces and random facts about them. Like it's like, uh, yeah. yeah, it's 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 Luke Skywalker destroying the Death Star. But in reality, it's uh you know, Emperor Palpatine's paper boy learning how Palpatine likes their coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Right. With a lot of lightning. (laughs) A Uh, lot of lightning. (laughs) The character I have the least sympathy for, I think, is Emily Blunt's character. Emily. She's pretty bad. Because well, she's the most cartoonish too. I Mm -hmm. like they never try and sympathize with her. Um the closest they come is this thing around Paris where she but she really wants the clothes. I none of that None of that makes her sympathetic to me. The fact that she really wants the clothes that come out of the Paris trip. She really wants the prestige of going. That's all. That's all greed. That's all. Uh, yeah. You know, self-obsession. That's none of that is sympathizing at all. Plus, she's made it abundantly clear that if they were to switch positions, she would stab her yes. in a heartbeat. Like she would stab murder anyone to get to Paris right um, up to the end. All, all the way past the part where she gives her all the clothes from Paris, I think. Like oh, she's yeah. still going to stab oh, her in the sure. back if she needs to. For sure. 
Um, Maybe the other character I like the least is this Christian Thompson guy. I don't, <laughs> I don't know why. We're we talking mentalist, the mentalist yeah, guy. The mentalist. Uh, I I don't know why. I feel like there is something very predatory about this this whole thing that's happening here, and it icks me out. That's why I think this is the the wretched naivete of the movie because I see it too. Like this okay. guy, it feels very quid pro quo, and like I. I keep expecting him to like put the like explicitly quid pro quo like well you're gonna suck my dick now that I got this you know this this Harry Potter novella comes with a side order of dick did you not did you not see but he doesn't he doesn't in fact he doesn't really make a move on her until like she's got broken up with the boyfriend because this is all part of the fantasy like yeah but it comes really it comes about as close as you can to that like there's this scene of uh, the try try again scene as i would call it is like mm-hmm. they're out you know by the lamp post and they're in paris and she's got no boyfriend now she keeps saying no she keeps saying no nah i need to mm-hmm. i need to leave i need to go he's mm-hmm. touching her face he's he's moving in mm-hmm. every time she objects he comes closer it's it, it, it's there there is a fine line between playing a game that you both know you're playing and mm-hmm whatever is happening in this scene and i don't feel comfortable about it yeah it's a it's a weird role cecily mentioned why towards the end of the movie she's like what do you think entourage is going to think of uh, her fucking the mentalist when they're on a kind of ross and rachel style break because uh-huh. uh, yeah it's like i was kind of wondering that myself it's like well you guys broke up because you're being different people but then you you call back like this not even a week has gone like you just went to paris yeah, went to the show, fuck this dude, and then came back and be like, "Hey, let's just uh, let's just uh, have a do over here." Uh, right? Yeah, I don't know. I think that would have been an interesting scene to shoot. <laughs> That's fine as long as you didn't fuck the mentalist while you're in in Paris. What you fucked the mentalist? <laughs> we just broke up. What the? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and. 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I guess the one thing I, I I thought it was good because it helped me get into the mood of the movie um, because like, yeah, I, I've got a pretty jaundiced eye about fashion and, and all that kind of stuff. But it starts with a montage of women doing the incredibly hard work of being beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it's a it's a it's a long, like a five minute montage of like just women from all different walks of life, um, like putting on makeup, checking out their outfits, looking in the mirror. And like, I, you know, that's one of the things that's like um, a trope. And I, I do know men who spend as much time in front of a mirror as women. But on, on average, I think uh, society's conditioned women to care more about that stuff than men. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And it, it, I thought it did a really good job of like, before you want to start up with your bullshit, Aaron, about not caring about fashion, know that like for the vast majority of people, like it really does rule their life. They're very harshly judged by it. There's a lot of in-group and out-group uh, pressure to conform to these standards. Um, but it's one of those things where like, I feel like when if you like, it's almost like a snake eating its tail because like the movie starts off that way, showing all these pressures to form. And then you have this entire movie. And then at the end of the day, you still have Miranda at the top applying the pressures and it just kind of loops back into itself. It's a, it's a self uh, creating, perpetuating thing. Yeah. Uh, and they're playing this song. Uh, I, I don't actually know the name of it. It's that suddenly I see the suddenly song, I see. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, by K- Katie something. I can't think of her name. Um, but this is a song that's uh, about female empowerment. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Apparently the background of it, it is that she was looking at a photo of a very powerful and accomplished woman um, by some famous photographer. And she was struck by uh, the desire to change her life and sort of live up to that ideal and wrote this song about it. Uh, and they're playing it over a scene, like you said, which is a bunch of, of women getting ready for their day, spending massive amounts of time in front of the mirror. and and uh andrea who's doing the same but also not having quite the result that these other women do Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. it's meant to like juxtapose andy with the rest of these high fashion women and they're playing this song and it's i i didn't know at the time if the movie was trying to tell me that this is something that's empowering or if the movie was using this ironically i think it's a little by the end of this movie mm -hmm. There's a uh, lot of this part where the movie is like, I'm not so sh- I'm not sure if it's so smart. It's coming off as stupid or if it's so stupid, it's approaching looking smart because that like you're right. That yeah, montage is, is almost like or... two, si- two sides of the coin. Like, is yeah. is this actually state making a, uh, an ironic statement or is this just like, yeah, look at these women putting on their fucking war paint and armor. Um, I could see it going either way. And they use music pretty well. It's not like music that I love, but I'm sure a lot of people of of the generation where they were young uh, adults at the time of this movie probably love this song. Um, and, yeah. and many of the other songs in there, right? Like Vogue, uh, Madonna's Vogue is in there. A couple of Madonna mm-hmm. songs actually. Um, so not like my cup of tea, but they use the music pretty effectively in this movie. Yeah. I can't believe they didn't get material girl in there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a little older, <laughs> but sure. Yeah. yeah. Vogue um, was like the Madonna sense, right? Did you see anything about the Anne Winter component of this movie? Because Not you know really. how I, I'm always bitching about like anytime there is a reference to journalism in a movie like of late, it's been fashionable to get like Anderson Cooper or, you know, Wolf Blitzer. Oh, the actual journalist play. on the screen. And I always think like, oh, that's gross because yeah. you guys are real journalists and you shouldn't be like doing fake journalism even as kind of like a wink wink nudge nudge isn't this funny that i'm i'm in a godzilla movie and i'm talking about godzilla i actually was like you know i'm i'm kind of impressed because there's not nearly i thought there'd be so many fucking cameos of well-known fashion designers and models and stuff and i'm like it's actually kind of refreshing that they took the effort to like come up with fake versions of everything even the you know clearly it's supposed to be the new yorker i think that andy mm-hmm. walks into 
they come up with a name and like have this like shitty eight and a half by 11 something that's some production assistant ran off that morning to slap on the the window that she walks out of so you know it's like a new yorker type of thing and mm-hmm. i'm like oh, that's, that's kind of cool because that way there's like you know it's it's i think it's i think it's more it has more integrity you know that if you're making something skewering an industry that you you know you don't use that industry to do it it turns out i guess the editor of vogue this this miss winter put out like essentially a, uh, a head hunting bounty that like, if you appear in this <laughs> film, I will ruin you in the fashion world. Oh, really? And that's why there are no big models or, I mean, you got Giselle Bunchen, like Tom Brady's wife, but she's not playing a model. There's, you know, yeah, like, they, they like reference the Tom is the only Ford's model, and, I think. Yeah. They, they, they reference the Tom Ford's and mm. the uh, Versace's and all this stuff. But like, they don't appear in the film, and I guess it's because the editor of Vogue just made an edict. Wow, uh, which only plays right into it. the hands of this fucking movie, right? <laughs> like, but that's like that's the the lack of self awareness because that's the other thing is like a lot of these ten year puff pieces were kind of like uh, trying to recontextualize um, Miranda as like an anti hero. You know, it's like, why do we why did we ever see her as a villain? She's just out there trying to be she's just doing the things that a CEO does. And like, I guess this is like wow. the um, this is like, I, you know, um, there, there's this 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 thought in progressive circles that like sometimes we don't make as much progress as we think, because like, you know, um, there's this big push of like, well, we need more female representation as in soldiers and like in boardrooms and, and this and that instead of thinking like. Really? Is it progress if we got female drone pilots, you know, killing innocent people overseas? Or is it really if we've got psychopath women like I, is that the, what we're trying to? But I, I do feel like some of those think pieces are made at like the height of the girl boss era where people are like, well, you know, why are we critical of Miranda for doing things that men have done for centuries, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Rather than the next level critique is like, well, why is it acceptable for anyone to act like this? Yeah. Um, and maybe we're not to the point where we start worrying quite you know as much about why is it acceptable for anyone to act like this because there, yeah, there's got to be a cycle here right where we we correct some of the imbalances um that currently exist and then maybe try and fix those bigger problems but also yeah and if i was a, do we want to put how long well, do we want to put that off right right and if i was a woman listening to this podcast i'd be like oh well yes yeah, it sounds like a really great strategy for us to just stop trying to mm-hmm break into the powers of uh, the corridor of powers and business and politics and and, exactly, and, and yeah. you know because like because what we're trying to solve some greater society cred now it's and it, it won't work that way we'll have everyone has to everyone has to have equal opportunity and say at the shit heel table before we realize the shit heel <laughs> table is not the place we want to sit but sure. uh it is it is it is interesting to see the recontextualization of her as like you know good actually that this is something to be celebrated <laughs> like no pretty sure it's not but yeah i mean i don't i don't need to like get in there and mix it up on the girl boss stuff like i don't have a stake in that so i can pretty easily yeah. sit back and say no she's a villain she's a villain uh-huh. uh but also i understand why you'd want to get in and mix it up because there is a shift that needs to happen there too the last thing i want to talk about is how this was like a huge part of Anne hathaway's career um that until this movie she had kind of been seen as like a child star you know she had all these like uh princess movies that she was in and she had to actively campaign 
like seriously put on a full court press to get this role uh, because she thought this would be something that really kind of broke her through. And looking back, it feels like it did. And like Emily Blunt also credits this as like her, you know, jump starting her career and, and uh, uh, being super poor. Plus, there's a lot of interesting connections. I mentioned that this crew is very tight. Like when Emily Blunt got married to John Kay, she invited Stanley Tucci to their wedding where he met Emily Blunt's sister. And then five years later, they got married. So now she's actually <laughs> in-laws with Stanley Tucci, her co-star. But huh. yeah, uh, if, you, if, you, if you look back, it's, it's a night and day. Like the doors that just opened for Emily Blunt and Anne Hathaway, especially, um, who's gone on to be fairly well-regarded act- actress in her own right. Yeah. Um, I thought that was interesting and how behind the, how hard behind the scenes because like Meryl Streep was the one where like this kind of role was written for her in mind and if she said no in fact the project wasn't greenlit until they secured her yes oh, but everything nice. else was like a wild card and Anne Hathaway had to really work her ass off to get to get on this movie apparently hmm. yeah I think it all panned out I think the performances across the board are really good um, there, there's a lot of unsaid stuff even uh, in this movie like you know, just the looks that Meryl Streep can give and that Anne Hathaway can give, and they mean so much. Uh, yeah, without any dialogue from across the street or across the room. I, I, I'm thinking of like the one, the most prominent one to me is where Anne Hathaway is, has her shoes judged by Meryl Streep. Like it, it says so much about like the rest of the movie and what's going to happen because they're literally remaking this person from the ground up as a fashionista. Uh, Starting with the shoes, right? And then she goes to Tucci and she says, hey, help me out. I need some fashion. Um, d- dose me with fashion. Uh, yeah, I-, I thought it was cool. It was smart. The-, the filmmaking here is very good. And the the performances carry a lot of stuff that is maybe a little more uh, mixed in its messaging. Mm. Did you get a load of the super sparkly Eiffel Tower? No. Yeah, when they were doing the establishing shots of Paris, I don't know when this was movie. I was presuming this shot was sometime in 2005, 2006, but like they had the nightlight package on the Eiffel Tower was like radioactive cupcake sprinkles. <laughs> wow. Uh, set to seizure inducing mode. And I kept on thinking, like, if I went to Paris to see the Eiffel Tower and they fucking had it lit up like this, I would want my money back. Yeah. I, I've seen I've seen some ill thought out g- color graphic packages on landmarks before, mm-hmm. but my God, I this was exceptionally ugly. Shame on the Eiffel Tower for looking that way in 2005, 2006. Is this just our <laughs> our hellish nightmare of a future It is like as lighting gets uh, better, as holographic technology improves? Are we just going to get like additions holographic additions to landmarks that uh, can, can we like sure. swap faces on put, Mount Rushmore with the holograms? Yeah. Let's put a, put a hollow beret on uh, the Eiffel tower. Yeah. And have it say in, in, a, in a deep, like giant affected uh, uh, French accent. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know, but that, I, that, that, that lighting package is why Japanese couples come to Paris for the first time and leave incredibly depressed because it just, you yeah. know, they think, it's the it's the city of romance and love and high adventure. And then they just see they see uh disco ball 
Eiffel Tower and just <laughs> look, motherfuckers. Just the, the Japanese invented taking neon to the next level. Don't you complain about the lighting package <laughs> on the Eiffel Tower? Yeah, they're leaving Tokyo to go to Paris, man. Not famed for its its crazy <laughs> eye bleeding graph. Uh, you neon did this. bullshit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what else is that? Is that it for uh, the fifteenth anniversary of the Devil Wears Prada? Yeah, as told by two dudes, one of which didn't watch it until 2021 and is totally jaded by that fact. All time great movie poster, though, right? Of the the titular Prada's. Oh, yes. With the four devil. It's so, so iconic. Yeah. Yeah. The devil's pitchfork heel. One of the one of the great times of marketing, I think, because I Mm -hmm. I, I instantly it's iconic. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. 15. uh, Happy 15th anniversary. It'll be interesting to see. 15 years hence uh, where this movie kind of stacks up because I, yeah, like there, we're in the process of reevaluating how we feel about, uh, you know, careers and opportunities and elites and fashion and all kinds of stuff. Um, it'll be interesting to see what the, the think pieces look like 15 years hence, mm-hmm. but uh, important, uh, important milestone. And I really enjoyed getting a chance to revisit this movie. Next week, we'll be back with another prestige film. What will it be? I don't know. I honestly don't. I have to look at the calendar. and I'm not going to. So uh, we'll see you back for that next week. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya.